And Father, that's what we pray that for our church as well, that, that you would use each one of us in the community in which you've placed us, here in Beaver Dam or even where we live in the surrounding communities, Lord. We pray that you would use us as a blessing here and, and this church as a blessing here in, in Beaver Dam. And we know, Father, in order to do that, we, we need your blessing, and which is why we come each week. We come here so that you would bless us, so that we would be a blessing into the, in our communities. And so we, we pray that you would be with us now in this time as we've sang and as we've come to you in prayer and, and now as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would bless this time. We, we want to hear you speak. We want your guidance and your direction and your strength in our lives. And, and so we pray that you would speak to us through your word now and all of the possible things that could distract us are fears or frustrations or anxieties, all of those things, Lord, that you would push them to the edges, push them off to the sides so that we can hear you speak clearly to us this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. So we're moving into kind of part two of this series. The beginning part of the series was focused on all of the ways that God created us and our bodies and our desires and all of that. And then we're going to move into another section here where we're going to talk about how all that has been kind of broken and corrupted because of the fall, um, because of our sinful nature. And so I do have another set of study booklets created for this part. So if you go in the back on the table in the little basket, there's a whole bunch of them there. Grab one, bring it home, and it'll help you kind of dive in more fully. So all the next ones are going to be broken, um, part, of our, part of our broken bodies, our broken souls. And, and today we're going to talk about our broken desires. And kind of the main text we're going to look at today is Romans 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Romans 7, and we're going to look at um, the last half of the chapter, 13 through 25. We're also going to look at Colossians 3, but just keep your Bibles open to Romans 7. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then Colossians 3 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Just a side note, I always kind of, have you ever been in that spot where Paul is, where he's describing, you could just see he's just wrestling, he's all over the place, right? I want to do this, but I don't do this, I don't want to do this, I keep doing this, I don't know what's going on inside of me, I don't understand, he goes, I don't understand my own actions, why do I keep doing these things? I I hope we can all kind of, we've been there, we've realized that. But to start off, I I want you to think about your last fight, or if you'd rather call it your last argument, the last fight or the last argument you had with someone. Um, anyone. And then think about what was that about. And then I want you to think a little bit deeper and and think, what was it really about? And, And I bet if you ask that question enough times, I can tell you what it was about. You wanted something and you didn't have it. Um, you, that's why you fought. You wanted a clean kitchen You didn't have a clean kitchen, and so you fought, right? You wanted peace, and you wanted quiet, and you didn't have it, and so you fought, right? Or you wanted more time to finish something, you didn't have it, and so you fought. You wanted something, you didn't have it, and it caused this tension. And and actually, it's just, the Bible clearly tells us this is what's going on. In James, he says, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And if you start thinking about it, he's right. It's really at the root of every conflict, every fight, everything that goes on is we want this, we don't have it, and so there is fight, there's attention, there's conflict. And it's because we have this wrestling of our desires in us. And, and our desires are actually kind of distorted. We start wanting things that we shouldn't want, and we don't want things that we should want. And it hasn't always been that way, right? We've talked, uh, just a few weeks ago, we talked about how God created us with these good desires. And when God looked out of, over creation, he said, that's very good. And at that point, the desires in us were we're all perfectly aligned with God's will, um, but it didn't last forever. Right after Genesis 2, right after creation, we get into Genesis 3, where we read this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shouldn't eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the rest of human history (laughs) 
has been a tale of distorted desires. Um, desiring things we shouldn't desire. Um, but even notice one part. I don't hear many people talk about this in this story, but there's one part of the story that I think is really important. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about how God created the trees. It said, out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, right? God created trees so they looked good and then the food looked good so that we would desire them for those things. But notice now, after talking with the serpent, look at, watch how Eve looks at the trees. She saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, but one more thing, that the tree was desired to make one wise. And just before that, God said, I didn't create the tree to make you wise. I created trees good for food, good to the eyes, and good for food. And now Eve says, but maybe the tree will give me more than what God has designed it to give. And that's really, that's really at the core of all of our, our sinful desires is looking at things the way God has designed them and created them and saying, I, I want more. I want more out of that than what God has designed it. And it's really kind of connected to another part of the story. If you look at the way that the serpent spoke to Eve, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about he starts off and he says, well, did God really say and we hear that a lot. We, we know that even in our own hearts, that we'll, there's something that we're doing, and somebody will say, well, God said you, know, you shouldn't do that. And we say, but did he really? But there's something else going on, because the serpent doesn't just question whether God said something. He actually questions God's goodness and God's provision. And he talks to Eve, and he tells Eve, actually, God's holding out on you. God's saying, don't eat that tree because he knows that it's good for you. And God's saying, don't do that. So God, he's not good. He's not providing you with everything you need. Just God's withholding from you. And if you want to fulfill your desires, if you want to have life to the full, you need to take matters into your own hands. And we've been doing it ever since. I mean, that's why she eats of the tree, because she thinks, Oh, God's holding out on me. He's keeping this tree from me, and that's bad. I need this. And so I need to, if I really want to be happy, if I really want to be satisfied, I need to eat this tree, eat from the tree. And uh, this guy named Lorenzo Albacete says this, There's really only one temptation. All particular temptations are expressions of this one original or primordial temptation. It's the temptation to believe the fulfillment of the desires of the human heart depends entirely on us. That's the temptation at the root of all of our sin is I need to do this on my own. I need to fill my desires. I need to take care of myself. God's not going to do it. It's at the root of the very first sin, but then the well has been poisoned in our human hearts ever since then, that ever since the fall, every single human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth has thought, I need to take matters into my own hands. Unless I do this, I will never be satisfied. God won't do it. And then the desires are all messed up so that we are desiring the wrong things and trying to fill those desires in the wrong way. And so we take matters into our own hands. And that's even, we see that struggle in the Apostle Paul. 
a little bit. And, and remember that as the Apostle Paul's writing this passage from Romans 7, he's a Christian when he's writing this struggle. And he says, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. That doesn't make any sense. I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Right? We've been there where we're like, man, I need to, you know, the one that we talked, people know this struggle. I want to eat healthy. I want to work out. I really want to do that. And then I go home and I open up a thing of ice cream and I just start eating, right? I don't want to do that. I want to be healthy. But we don't do it, right? Or as parents, I want to be patient. I don't want to get crabby and angry at my kids. And then a kid does something and then boom, there you go, right? No, I hate it when I do that, but why do I keep on doing that? And we have this wrestling match. Our desires are at war in us. And and it's interesting to think about. If you want to do what's right, but you keep on doing the things you hate, why do you do those things? Because in that moment, you actually want to do the things you hate. Isn't that, that, it's crazy. But in that moment, you want to, right? Right? I hate blowing up at my kids, but in that moment, I want to. And then I hate it afterwards, but in that moment, right? And so there's this crazy thing going on that deep down inside us, somewhere, we actually want to do the things we hate. And that's called our sinful nature. It's there. It's these disordered desires that are deep down in our heart, and they've been there ever since that, the fall in the garden. And, and so we have this sinful nature inside of us, and it's working with our desires and, and causing us to desire things that we hate, or even desire things that are going to destroy you, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, that you have this thing working inside of you, making you desire things that are going to destroy you. And and the picture can be even bleaker than that, really, because when we read Romans 6, which is before this, Paul says, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Everyone has these distorted desires within them. And then he says, and they're all slaves to sin, enslaved to sin, enslaved to the sinful nature that's trying to destroy you. And it says, apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, your sinful nature is just having its way with you. That all that you desire is, is distorted and twisted and wrong. And, and if you don't have the Spirit in you kind of waging war against that, you're completely enslaved to this sinful nature that's trying to kill you trying to destroy you from within. And that means all of our desires, too, before Christ, are, all of our desires are twisted and distorted and enslaved. And so without Christ, you're left to this life where you're constantly desiring things that will kill you and going after them over and over and over again. And you chase after them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But notice, there's something else in Romans 7 that we have to understand. Here's what Paul says about the law, okay? He says, the law, like the Ten Commandments, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Um, But did that which is good then bring death to me? 
No, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. And, and what he's getting at there is this powerful truth that sin is very, our sinful nature is sneaky. It, it actually takes good things and twists and distorts good things so that they turn into something that is bad. Um, and so let me give you a couple examples of that so that we, we get this. Um, the first one is just what the Apostle Paul's talking about, right? I think we would all agree, if you were to ask the question, is it a good thing to obey the law of God? We would say, yeah, yeah, God told us to do it, we should listen to it. That's a good thing. But Paul said, what happened to me was I was trying to obey the law, and then sin came in and twisted it all, so then I obeyed the law thinking that I could earn my salvation, and then that killed me. And so sin came in, took a good thing like the law of God, and twisted it so it brought death to him. And we see that even in the Pharisees, right? Jesus looks at the Pharisees who had thought they could earn their salvation through the law, and he said, you're a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. You're dead on the inside because you're, you're, look, the law has been distorted by your own sin and so that it's bringing death. I think we've known that, right? I mean... Some who, not to cast too many stones, but some who've grown up in the CRC over the years can think back to 40 or 50 years ago and go, yeah, I knew some people who had been dead on the inside for trying to become so legalistic about the law of God. I would say we've the other side. But, but even a smaller matter, um, food is one I think of regularly. Is it a good thing to desire food? And eat food, of course, right? If you don't eat food, you're going to die as well. But what happens? Sin comes in, takes the good desire for food, and it twists it and distorts it. And then you makes you want to eat more than you should. And then you can eat enough food that it actually kills you. I mean, we, we think food's a really kind of minor thing, but it actually is something that if you don't use it rightly, it will, it will kill you eventually. But it's still good. It doesn't mean we shouldn't eat food. It doesn't mean we shouldn't desire good food. It just means that sin comes in and takes these good things and twists them and distorts them and turns really good things into bad things that kill us. And, and part of that's because our, our wicked desires or our sinful desires are, uh, John Calvin once said that our wicked desires are insatiable or unsatisfiable. They're like a leaky bucket. They're always searching but never finding anything. Our desires are, we're trying to fill up this bucket with the, no bottom in it. And so we're never, our desires are never filled, never satisfied. And so since they're never satisfied, we need more and more and more and more and more. Right? We, we know this when it comes to, to addicts, Right? Alcoholics need more and more and more and more alcohol to finally get drunk. A, a drug addict needs more and more and more or stronger and stronger substances. But the reality is that just applies down to every one of us and whatever our particular sin is. Because none of these things will ever satisfy us. And we keep going after them harder and stronger, trying to find satisfaction. And yet, they're, they're never satisfied. And... In the process, we, we start using things beyond how God has created them to be used. And when you use something in a way that God hasn't created it to be used, you actually destroy the thing. Um, and you destroy yourself, right? If I, if I were to go try to play drums with a pencil 
you know, I'm going to break probably the drums and the pencil, right? I'm going to break these things because they were never designed that way. And it's the same thing with um, everything else in creation. If you use something in a way that God has not designed it to be used, you will break it. You'll destroy it. And, and yourself in the process. And that's really at the heart of, of what the Bible calls covetousness. Um, you know, we, we've all, you know, we've learned the commandments as a kid. We know the Tenth Commandment is, thou shalt not covet. And I'm sure as a kid you were taught, and this is not wrong, but at a basic understanding of coveting is wanting something that you don't have, right? So if I'm coveting this, I, I want it, but I don't have it. But, but deeper than that, coveting is about just distorted desires. It's actually you're coveting if you're desiring something you shouldn't desire in the first place. And so coveting is all of these kind of messed up desires in us from the fall. Um, And then here, the Bible takes it to another level. In Colossians, it says, Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, not good desires, evil desires. And then it says covetousness, which is idolatry. That's powerful. It says to, to covet is the exact same thing as committing idolatry. Um, so when you go to the Ten Commandments, and the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me, that says, don't commit idolatry. And the very last one is, you should not covet, it says, don't commit idolatry. It kind of says it twice, like, understand this. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Because to covet something means we have these distorted desires in us. We, we, we're desiring things we shouldn't desire, and we're desiring things that will never satisfy us. So what do we do? We keep going back to them over and over and over and over again. And we begin to desire those things more than God, which is just idolatry. And, and so then the good things turn into a bad thing. I've, this is what I've heard a, an easy definition of idolatry. Good things that turn into bad things that turn into a God thing. We start going to these things for comfort and peace and, and hope, and then they never give us comfort and peace and hope. But we go back to them again thinking, maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe if I buy myself a new dress, I'll feel better this time. Maybe if I eat this really good big bowl of ice cream, I'll feel better this time. Maybe if I, and it doesn't, but then we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And we look to them for comfort and peace rather than God, and they become idols. And it just is this circle of futility, isn't it? I keep going, I look, go here for peace, there's no peace. Maybe this time, no peace. And you're never finding peace and comfort. It's futile, but it's also, it's also destructive. Um, I want to, sh- apart from the psalm that we read at the beginning of our service, is really important. It looks out at the world and says, their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. And then it says, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's the destructiveness of, I, of idolatry. It says, we become like what we worship. We become like 
the idols we worship. And so if we're worshiping blind idols, we will become blind ourselves. If we worship speechless idols, we will become speechless ourselves. But even deeper than that, or or really the point that the psalmist is making, he's pointing out to the world saying, all of these idols that you're worshiping are dead. There's no life in them. They can't move, they can't speak, they can't breathe, they can't talk, they can't do anything. They're dead, lifeless objects. And then he says, when we trust in those idols, we become just like them. We become dead and we become lifeless, just like the idols that we worship. Another way to put it is we become less human when we worship idols. That's why it's so destructive. They just kind of eat us from the out, inside out, and we become less and less human, less of what God has created us to be. Um, and here's an example. I, I just read this last week. Um, a guy named Archibald Hart, he says, Today, in our current culture, we have taken the pursuit of pleasure too far. And in so doing, we have lost the ability to experience the very pleasure we are pursuing. Consistent overuse of the brain's pleasure circuits causes us to lose our capacity to experience pleasure. That's just a fancy way of saying the same thing that the psalmist said. Those who worship idols that can't receive pleasure will not receive pleasure themselves. Those who pursue all of these idols that are lifeless and dead will begin to lose your capacity to to feel pleasure, to seek things. You will become less human and become more like the dead, lifeless idol. You begin to lose your ability to speak, hear, feel, walk, or even experience love and fellowship or pleasure, like he said. And that's kind of all baked into our sinful nature. And so it's no wonder that, that at the end of the chapter, Paul says, wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? He's, he's like, man, I can't do anything right. I, I keep trying and I can't. And Who's going to save me? Who's going to help me desire the right things and then go after those desires? Who's going to help save me from this from desiring things that are actually going to destroy me or make me less human. And he ends where we hopefully know by now, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where he's going to find salvation, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way, the only way you will ever have your desires changed and reordered is through Christ. You, you can't do it on your own. You can't suppress your desires well enough. You can't try to fulfill your desires enough. It's not going to work because your desires are all messed up. You won't do the things you want to do. The only way, the only way you can have these desires reordered and changed within you is for Christ to cleanse you and then to give you a new heart. God says, I'll remove that heart of stone and I'll give you a new heart of flesh And then you'll begin to desire the things that you should desire. And Christ says, I'll even give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to go in you. And he's going to start waging war, like with a big sword, waging war against 
your sinful nature, helping you reorder your desires so that you begin to desire the right things in the right ways. Um, But that's your only hope. You can't do it on your own. The only way you can do it is through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, but, But notice that when you become a Christian, that doesn't mean this battle is over. That's actually just the beginning. Um, if you think about it, before you're a Christian, there is no battle. You're just enslaved to your sinful desires, your sinful nature. They're just having their way with you. You're loving life, even though you're destroying yourself. But then you become a Christian, and God gives you a new heart and gives you a spirit, and then the battle begins. Then they start waging war with your desires. They start reordering the desires in you. And you start noticing as a Christian that there are certain things you used to desire that you no longer desire, right? I mean, there was a time in my life where I really desired going out to the bar and getting smashed with my friends. That sounded really fun. And now I go, what a bunch of idiots. Sorry if that's still a desire. But I, it's not there anymore. There's zero desire for me to go out and get trashed and wake up feeling miserable the next day. Doesn't sound fun. Um, but that wasn't the case always. God had to work and kind of change those desires within me. But not only that, but he starts changing your desires in, the, in a different way so that you now start to desire things that you didn't desire before. So like reading your Bible. There was a time in my life I didn't like reading my Bible. I didn't desire reading my Bible. But now the Spirit's been working, and now I enjoy it. I long for it. Same with prayer. Same with going to church. Same with being in community with other Christians. The the Spirit's working in us so that we desire these things because God created us to desire these things and to, to desire them rightly. But it's a long Long, long, slow process. Um, There are stories. I know stories of people. I have friends who were drug addicts, gave their lives to Christ, and the next day never thought of it again. That happens sometimes, Um, but not usually. Usually it's a long, slow struggle, and the Bible says it's a battle. It's a war going on inside of you, which means you need to fight. means you've got the spirit in you that's fighting to help get your desires right, but also you're part of that battle and you need to fight the battle the way that God has told us to fight the battle, which is through prayer, right? Put on the armor of God so you can fight this battle for your desires. Read your Bible, which is the sword of the spirit to fight these battles, Go to church, attend worship, fellowship with other believers. These are all tools that God has given us to fight this battle over our desires. And then as we do that, more and more as we pray and read our Bibles and go to church and fellowship with other believers, then our desires begin to be reordered so that we desire the right things in the right ways. And and here's the powerful thing. When we desire the right things in the right ways, God fills those desires, and he fills them to the brim so that you will finally be satisfied in this life. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your grace and mercy and patience in our lives. 
Father, each one of us can relate with Paul this battle of doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we want to do, and yet you don't give up on us in all of this struggle, but you continue to work, continue to wage war and change our desires. And Father, we just ask your forgiveness for all of the stupid mistakes we've made over the years or even just this morning. Father, we ask your forgiveness for just desiring things that would destroy us and, and keep us away from you. And, and Father, we ask your forgiveness, but we ask that your spirit would, would work and, and wage war in us so that we would begin to desire the right things in the right ways. And Lord, then we ask that you would fill us and satisfy us, and that we would live life to the full. Father, work in us, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.